You're tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right. I'm here today with one of my classmates, Allison Dorpinghouse. Thanks for being on the show, Allison. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, of course. Fun, fun thing about Allison. So our cohort came into WashU with 99 students. We were organized into two different sections and a bunch of different small groups throughout our first couple of semesters. And our small groups would work together to complete group projects and activities and research and write papers. And they would usually change from class to class and from semester to semester. But me and Allison were in the same section and the same small group for our whole first year. And I think even into our second year, right? Yeah, even to our second year. Uh, so we got to know each other really well and worked together on a lot of projects. And I don't know, I think that was a really fun thing that I'm also grateful for in my OT education. Yeah, me too. I, I totally forgot about that until you just brought it up. <laughs> a lot of good times. We we had a lot of fun too. Falling asleep in statistics lab. Yeah, that was just you, not me, Matt. That was just you. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> But I'm stoked to have you on the show. Allison is a former college volleyball player, a future badass occupational therapist. Sorry to my mom for saying that. (laughs) To kind of get started, I wanted to ask if there's anything else you want the listeners to know, uh, maybe like what area of OT you want to work in in the future. Yeah, so I did. I did play volleyball in college. We had that in common since you played uh, collegiate sports too. Um, I started OT school with a passion for pediatrics, um, and that's definitely still a passion of mine. But over time, I've realized I have a lot of other interests and passions. And so I'm really interested in academia and program development. Um, and then I had a level two in hand therapy, and now I'm super interested in that as well. So, no idea where I want to go with OT, but there's a lot of different things that I'm super interested in. That's awesome. I I share that sentiment, not knowing exactly where to go, but I do think you have a a wide range of experience. And that's also evident in your doctoral research projects because you've taken on three major projects during your education, um, whereas a lot of students only take on one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So those three are First is IDEA, which stands for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility Committee for Enhancing Diversity and Cultural Competency in Community-Based Nonprofits. Then you have Pipeline Program Development to Support Individuals with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities to Serve in Leadership Roles. And last but not least, a United Way Board Fellowship Program a unique opportunity for students. And we're going to talk about all three of those today. Yeah, so I started with the United Way Board Fellows Program. Um, and then through that and through my involvement with my nonprofit is kind of how those other two f- came about. So that's kind of how all three of those came to fruition during my three three years at WashU. Okay, that's awesome. Started with United Way Board. Um, And was there anything else that kind of led you to want to research these topics and and set out to solve the problems that you you worked on? 
So I was initially really interested in the United Way Board Fellows Program because it was such a unique opportunity. Um, and my mentor, Dr. Christine Berg, um, really, we were the first cohort at WashU to ever be a part of this Board Fellows Program. And she had a big part in establishing that program. Um, the Board Fellows Program started at the Olin Business School, and I believe they are now in their 10th or 11th year. Um, and matching business students with the nonprofit to serve on their board. My mom is involved in the schools and I used to get dragged along to school board meetings growing up. And so I had this very specific thought of what all boards look like and really wanted to learn more about leadership, more about boards and learn that they were all very different than what I was dragged to as a child. So that's kind of how I got involved with the board fellows program initially and what kind of piqued my interest. And the, these are so many projects and there's so much work that goes into each one of them. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how much research is needed to inform one doctoral research project, let alone three doctoral research projects. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of this research uh, is focused around diversity, um, whether it's in the type of people working in positions of leadership, diversity of student experiences, like you mentioned, being able to serve on a board, or enhancing diversity in companies and organizations. Uh, and I wanted to ask if you could share some of the important findings you've uncovered in your literature reviews of these separate topics. Yeah, so diversity has absolutely become such a passion of mine. Um, something I'm super interested in learning more about and furthering in our communities. Um, and so the, like the, I guess, acronym that we use is DEI, which um, stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So DEI is becoming a priority in a lot of organizations and literature. Um, so AOTA just recently updated their pillars. They have core pillars and core values that they believe that all OTs hold and what we should um, promote to our stakeholders, people we interact with. Um, and they just updated theirs to include DEI. And so our national organization really is furthering and promoting this DEI, importance of diversity and inclusion. And so that really gave me kind of a launching point to keep learning and keep digging into what diversity is, what inclusion is, and what we can do as practitioners, both in a clinical setting, but also in program development to help better support our clients. And so just through looking at the literature, you know, inclusive, we know as OTs that inclusivity is so vital and so important for our clients. And um, it's also important for us in our development as future practitioners. And so um, the board fellows program really focuses on, you know, making programs having an opportunity for students to have this well-rounded education and have this experiential learning in different environments and to be included in these environments, understand that, understand that they um, have a seat at the table at these, you know, boards that can sometimes be a little bit intimidating to be a part of. Um, and so that was a big part of the board fellowship development. And then just looking at diversity initiatives across the board, they are becoming more popular. And there's a lot of different initiative types, right? So I looked at programs, I looked at committees, I looked at policy development um, and found that committees were the most effective way to make sustainable change for organizations, which is why we chose to focus our um, main diversity initiative, you know, in this sort of committee format, in this committee setting. 
And then we really want to look at not only inclusion for staff um, at the organization that I work with, the St. Louis ARC, but also inclusion of their participants as well, which is what kind of led to the formation of the pipeline program. To find a way to get people that receive services to have a seat at the table. And so that's kind of how, you know, when we started a literature review, looking at what was out there and what would lead us to what kind of programs we develop is kind of how that came about and how we develop these um, programs. It's really interesting to me how each of these programs built on each other. I imagine a lot of the research was very similar, um, but every time you started with an intervention or a program, uh, you would kind of find another application or something more that you could do or that OT could do to, to help promote diversity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's awesome. And I'm, uh, I'm really excited to dive into each of these projects on a little bit of a deeper level um, and hear about some of those findings that informed uh, you taking on more work and doing more overall. Tell me a little bit about the United Way Board Fellowship Program. Yeah, as I mentioned briefly before, the United Way Board Fellows Program is a program for graduate students. It started originally with Olin business students in the Olin Business School, but you know, Dr. Christine Berg, my mentor and faculty at WashUOT, um, really advocated for a long time to get us as students a seat at the table. Um, and so it was a multi-step process that educated and trained us to go serve on boards and then set us free. <laughs> so we went through a lot of um, seminars and workshops on what boards were, board responsibilities and duties and um, requirements of serving on board of directors. We went to a, um, they called it a boot camp, um, and it was an all-day event in the spring of our first year where we, you know, really got in and understood what serving on a board looked like. Um, and then we were matched with a board. There's four of us in the initial cohort of students for WashU OT's Board Fellows Program. Um, and so we were then matched with an agency that aligned with some of our passions and populations we were interested in and then served for a 12-month term initially. And so on that term, we were then also matched with a board mentor, which was a really cool opportunity to expand our professional network and have somebody who sat alongside us through the board process because it is a little bit intimidating to come sit on a board um, when you're the youngest one there by 20 something years and and be in this new environment so we had a board mentor as well and then had these um, we each had our own projects so my project was then broken down into two further projects the committee and the pipeline but each of us then completed a project for the organization as well within that 12 month term so it's kind of the background of the board fellows program yeah, that, that sounds like such a, an awesome opportunity and experience and a great application of occupational therapy's role in advocacy. I know yeah. from day one in OT school, we learned about the OTPF and advocacy is mentioned in that substantially. Um, and we learn about how advocacy is such an important aspect of practice. But to me, learning how to advocate advocate is really difficult. Um, and I think that's the case for other students and for practitioners as well. But kind of with this project, you studied how board fellowships can help students and practitioners gain experience and knowledge in advocating. And so 
I'm getting to the question. Here it is. What is occupational therapy's role on a board? Yeah, so OTs can provide service to boards in two main ways, right? So there's direct and indirect service. So direct service are these ways that we are directly applying our perspective and knowledge and skill set to someone or something, right? So that could be providing early intervention services in an agency. Um, That could also be serving on a board. You are directly impacting the organization. OTs can also provide indirect service that looks more like using that perspective and skill set to indirectly influence the organization. So maybe it's program development. Maybe it's um, advocating for new policies. Maybe it's advocating for your clients. So OTs can directly serve an organization by serving on their board, which I think sometimes gets a little bit lost um, because we think about helping people and helping individuals, but as OTs, we are trained to look at things, that task analysis, but also looking at the entire organization. How can we look at this organization and find ways to help them, to help serve those that they also serve? So an OT's main role on a board really is using that PEOP perspective and looking at all parts of the organization to address different needs they have and I think we are uniquely positioned because of that perspective that we have, because we are, have this holistic perspective and this unique lens that we approach and look at everything in the community. So OTs can serve on boards in that direct way or also the indirect way as well. And I mean, it's such a beneficial experience. Aside from the board fellows program, just serving on a board, you are gaining so much leadership. You're gaining so many professional skills. Um, we did Qualtrics surveys for our board fellows program, and every single student surveyed reported that they had gained so many different leadership and professional communication and organizational skills from serving on that board of directors. So it was a super impactful process for all the students involved. Uh, this sounds like such an awesome way for students to really practice advocating and yeah. work on applying their perspective and the OT lens to these nonprofit organizations. Yeah, there's a, oops, sorry, I interrupt you, Matt. There's actually a really great article that I wanted to mention. I I think it's by, I don't know if it's him, she, or he, um, but it's by Dylan. um, And it talks about OTs and advocacy. And it really dives in the OT role in advocacy. And in that article, she, she, or he, they, Uh, they were talking about how important it is to advocate um, and how most OTs do not know how to advocate until they are thrust into the opportunity later in their career. So any opportunity that we can get OTs, future OTs, OT students into advocacy opportunities is an opportunity to have them to grow those advocacy skills early on in their career. And you, you touched on this a little bit, some of the outcomes that uh, students gained from participating in this fellowship program. Could you expound on those or maybe share some additional outcomes? Yeah, so a lot of the, or all of the students reported increased um, leadership, professional skills like communication, organization, networking was a big outcome for a lot of these students. Um, then most of them are staying in the St. Louis area. And so this opportunity was a great networking one for them to continue to expand that network outside of the OT bubble. And a big one for all students was confidence um, and just looking at how 
confident they were in themselves as an OT, and then also just personal confidence as well. Um, it is a little bit intimidating to sit on a board of directors. The, the joke with boards is that they were all male, pale, and stale, that boards are all old white men. And so, you know, for me, being a 20-somethings white female, I am not an old white man. I don't typically fit in in what a board member should look like. And so that can be a little bit intimidating. But this process of being mentored and having these workshops and experiences um, really helped me to believe that I belong and I am needed and wanted at that table. And then I guess just, you know, looking at the outcomes, they also surveyed our CEOs of the organization as well throughout this process, just to make sure that we were performing and we were keeping up with deadlines and whatnot. And three out of the four board members were asked to serve another term after their 12 month was over. And so it was such a great outcome, not only for us as the board fellows to learn about this unique advocacy leadership opportunity, um, but it was a great for the organization to have somebody new and fresh eyes come into their agency and help, help impact sustainable change. That definitely highlights the value of this kind of experience. And yeah. if I'm an educator or even like the head of a program and I become aware of an experience that can help my students gain such valuable skills to their life and to their career, I'm going to do whatever I can to find these community partnerships and set something up like this for my students. Yeah, absolutely. The, our program um, is run by Rick Skinner. He is our United Way contact, but this program isn't just for the United Way of Greater St. Louis. It's a program that can be implemented at any United Way nationwide. And just the important thing for us is getting the word out through podcasts. So thank you again, Matt, for having me on, but just spreading the word that this is something that other schools and other United Ways could implement in their graduate educational programs in their communities. And if I'm a student or practitioner and I hear this and I hear you sharing this and want to get started with a program like this, what, what could I do? What could someone do? Yeah. So if you are a student, I would definitely find an organization that you're passionate about and reach out about service. So a lot of organizations have what's called a young professionals board. Um, this is a, a board that's run by younger people. And they often run in conjunction with the larger board of directors. Um, so, you know, getting on a board of directors is very much a networking position. You have to know people to then be included and be represented. But those young professional boards is a great way to get your feet wet with board service. As far as educators go, I just say reaching out to United Way or reaching out to Rick Skinner at the United Way of Greater St. Louis um, and finding a way to incorporate this program. There has been huge success with the Olin Business School and with our program as well, but they have had hundreds and hundreds of matches and thousands of hours completed for agencies in the community. Um, and so I would just definitely reach out to your United Way contact person and look into setting up something like this. Yeah, that's, that's excellent advice. Um, and it really does sound like such a great thing because you're gaining all these personal skills, but also helping improve the community that you're a part of as well. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into one of your other projects that was kind of a brainchild of this original United Way board project now. 
What do you say we go to the IDEA program? So we've already mentioned and you've touched on how occupational therapy practitioners play a role in addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, a new acronym I'm aware of now. Thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But a lot of nonprofits and foundations don't have DEI plans. So how does IDEA or this project you help work on and develop encourage um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, the literature shows that the majority of nonprofits do not have some sort of DEI plan in place, whether that's a formalized committee, um, whether that's a formalized statement or what have you. Um, And so our intention was to develop this committee that would address internal and even external um, DEI concerns for the St. Louis ARC. And so this committee was developed in partnership with some executives at the St. Louis ARC. Um, And through our work together, we decided that a committee would be the most effective way. Um, One, because literature shows that committees are fairly effective and um, they're a low cost option. It doesn't cost any money to get people together within your place of work over lunch. And then two, we felt that because the St. Louis ARC, they are, you know, outstretched throughout the entire community. They have residential homes, they have leisure activities, they have um, different opportunities all throughout St. Louis City and County, but they have uh, a, call it the Family Center, I believe, and they have a main home base. And so we felt that a committee would be appropriate to have in this um, home where everyone knows where the home is and they can come together as a larger community into this committee. And so our committee started off with recruitment. We asked applicants to identify like what makes them diverse, what they're in, um, in passionate about within diversity and inclusion. And um, once we developed this committee, we've been meeting throughout the 2019-2020 academic year. We've had about six bi-monthly meetings to date. So initially it was an educational process. Our early sessions were talking about privilege and bias and stereotypes and diversity and um, all of these really complex and important topics. And then from there, we started to see what is what is our main concern? What is the a big thing that we can tackle initially in the arc um, to you know promote DEI across the entire organization? And so this committee, obviously, with our community circumstance right now with COVID going on, we're no longer meeting at this time, but um, we're working on developing a statement that the arc is committed to on DEI. And so a DEI statement for the organization to publish and say, this is what we're committed to across the entire organization. This is one of our core values, something that we are extremely passionate about. Um, So a committee like this right now, that's our main task that we're working on. But committees like this can encourage diversity and inclusion equity across the entire organization by having this platform for people to come together to discuss inequities because inequities exist in all of our communities whether it's work communities, home communities, social communities, inequities are around us. Um, The first step is naming those inequities um, and then from there working to address those inequities. And so this committee is sustainable and I'm excited to see where the committee is going from here. I, I love this example and this project of how you were able to really use your OT lens to develop a committee and influence impactful organization level change. 
um, and it's starting to, to bear fruits with uh, the formation of this statement. So props to you. But how, how would you recommend that practitioners or students use their OT lens to make similar organization level changes? Yeah, I mean, obviously committees are an awesome way to bring together different professionals. Our committee is made up of a diverse group of people, which was our intention. We wanted to make sure that we were diverse in staff and also representative of who makes up the ARC. Like, who is the ARC passionate about? Like, what do we do? Um, and so a committee is a great way to bring together groups of people to address these things. But another another you know simple way that you can do in your communities whether it's work or school or social communities communities of worship uh, what have you is to again identify as equities and stand up and advocate i think the big thing throughout all of my projects and throughout all my research is the importance of advocacy and that you don't need a committee to stand up for things that you believe in you don't need a committee to stand up for things that you believe are right um, and that you have the ability as an ot student as a, a human um, you have the right and privilege to stand up for what you believe in and to address these inequities that you see in your communities that's a that's a powerful statement and sentiment um and thank you for sharing it with us yeah i think now let's transition to your third and final research project, the pipeline program development. And I kind of want to start it off uh, and highlight one of the things I found really shocking and kind of helped me gain a new perspective when I was reviewing some of your research and materials um, that you shared with me before the show. And that's that many boards have no members of the demographic of the person that they serve represented on the board. Uh, that is to say, the St. Louis ARC, which is a nonprofit that serves individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, doesn't have anyone with intellectual or developmental disability on the board. So to me, that sounds like they're making decisions that impact this population greatly. And I'm sure a lot of these decisions are well thought out and, and informed, but they're not really getting these people's opinion or input on those decisions beforehand. Yeah, so board diversity is a very, something I'm very passionate about and something that I have found in literature is, you know, unfortunately common across all nonprofits. Um, like more than half of nonprofit boards are completely white. Diversity is an issue in, in boards and boards of directors. And so St. Louis ARC, yeah, their population they serve is individuals with IDD. Um, and so they are making decisions that impact this population without anyone who represents population on their board. I will say that every single person on the board um, has a strong connection to this population. So whether it's someone who's passionate about this population, like myself, or whether it's someone with a family member or a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew, every single person on the board has a connection and has a purpose for serving this organization. But again, yeah, there, there is no one who is representing those that they serve, which was, you know, when I talked with the CEO, uh, Mark Keeley, about my projects, this is something that he wanted to change, that there should be someone who is, you know, on the board, serving on the board that has a seat at the table that is receiving services from the ARC. Did you design the first board pipeline for people with disabilities to, to complete that goal? <laughs> So as far to my 
know, as much as I know, um, I could not find any other pipeline programs that serve this population in this way. Um, there's a lot of pipeline programs for increasing other dimensions of diversity. So whether that's race or sexuality or gender is even a big one. Most boards, like I mentioned, are old white men. And so increasing representation of people identify as women or female on the board is a really important connection as well, I think. The D5 Coalition is an awesome group and they are promote like their focus of prioritizing promoting um, diversity on boards. And so they have a directory of all different pipeline programs that exist across the country. But looking through the directory and through my own research, there are no other boards to my knowledge um, that have this kind of pipeline program. That's pretty impressive. And it sounds like this all stemmed from you and the committee. And you mentioned that conversation with the CEO having the same goal to, to make this happen. Um, so let's kind of break it down. How, how did you yeah. make it happen? How did you create a design for this program? Yeah. So, I mean, we started with a pretty extensive literature review. So a lot of um, secondary sources searching literature on pipeline programs on leadership opportunities, on diversity, nonprofits, things like that nature. I also did a lot of interviews and discussions with people within the ARC. So ARC executives, people on the, on the board, agency leadership. I actually also had a conversation with the CEO of another nonprofit who's also the board chair that serves people with disabilities as well. So through all those conversations and through my literature review, kind of decided that yes, we want to do a pipeline program that was appropriate and then kind of went through the logistics of how to develop the sessions and where to go from there. So th th this hasn't been implemented yet, uh, but could you maybe describe what the program uh, associated with the pipeline would look like once it's in, in practice, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So we established some objective, objectives first. Um, and we use Bloom's taxonomy to ensure that all objectives and programs were reflective of what we wanted to accomplish in each session. Um, and so each session, um, there are six total sessions that will last between 45 to 60 minutes, give or take. Um, but each session is reflected with the typical board meeting format. Um, we wanted to develop this program to reflect the board meeting and what it would look like so individuals were prepared to then serve on the board of directors. They had that experience of um, the agenda um, and how things are brought up and motions and things like that. So they were familiar with this kind of process. And so our six sessions were chosen from broader research on um, successful nonprofit trainings and orientations for new board members. Um, and then we adjusted those sessions and topics to meet the needs of the art, right? So we have sessions on what is the ARC? Who do they serve? What are their programs and services? What are your roles as a board member? What does it take to be an effective board member? Some, a session on finances, which for me was something I'm still learning about with nonprofit finances and learning about all the different reports and what those numbers mean and why those numbers are important to look at and to understand and to dive into. Um, and then we had a couple sessions on ethics and kind of like a what would you do situation and how would you address ethical concerns if they you know arose on a board of directors so all of our sessions we really wanted to make sure with this ot knowledge that they were occupation based and that they were very intentional in all of our activities 
Um, so each session has like a introduction, uh, icebreaker, kind of like a review of last week's session, bringing the board together. There's a main activity that's occupation-based that addresses that topic for each week. And then there's also a reflection component. Um, and we used John Keller's ARCS motivational theory, which has support for using with diverse groups of learners, um, which looks at different ways to sustain motivation and engage different learner learners using grabbing their attention, making the content relevant, um, increasing their confidence, and then satisfaction is the last component of that theory. So our session design was very heavily theory-based, but all theories that we knew supported this population and this audience in this kind of format. That's so awesome. And when does the St. Louis ARC hope to implement this pipeline? We don't know. Um, obviously, with COVID-19 right now, timelines are all up in the air. But hopefully in coming months to year um, is one of our goals. The CEO is incredibly passionate about diversity and inclusion. And he has been such an awesome resource for me, both in my networking and my professional growth but also an amazing resource for the organization that he is really dedicated to promoting inclusivity across the entire organization. So my responsibility as board fellow was to develop this program um, and I'm delivering it to the ARC for them to use how they see fit. That's awesome. He definitely doesn't sound like one of those pale and stale CEOs. He sounds like he's a, a rock star. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Again, I think all three of these research projects are awesome. Looking over the materials, I can tell how much work you've put into them. And I just want to say thank you for doing that and thank you for sharing them on the show. Yeah, thank you. Of course. And now I wanted to ask you some more kind of personal or opinion questions about uh, these projects. First being, what, what have you enjoyed the most about these three projects? That's a great question. I think for me, I have enjoyed most about finding a new passion in my life. I grew up in Palo Alto, California, Northern California. I live down the street from Stanford University and I grew up in this bubble. And I have found this new passion and this intense passion for advocacy and diversity and inclusion. And I'm really thankful for that. And I have you know, enjoyed learning about that, about myself, and that I'm so passionate about this population and about this topic. Um, and I've also really enjoyed getting to network and to grow these different skills. Um, I don't think that if I hadn't been a part of this board fellows program, I would have been serving on board of directors. I don't think that would have been in my cards. But now, you know, as I'm sitting here locked in my apartment, I'm seeking and looking for new opportunities to continue serving the St. Louis ARC and other organizations. So I really enjoyed the personal growth in a selfish way, but really enjoyed that personal growth for me and finding this new passion of my own. I think that's an indicator of really good learning and is a testament to experiential learning because you have gained this passion and it's not just about, you know, education isn't just about the knowledge we gain, um, but I think it's more about making us passionate about something and it sounds yeah. like you've you've accomplished that yeah kind of a flip-flop though what, what's been the most difficult thing about uh about these projects and your doctoral research my research obviously was 
had an end date, right? I needed to complete all of this research by the time that I graduated and left St. Louis. And I've learned that the speed of nonprofits is much different than the speed of academia. Nonprofits typically run at a slower pace, which is not because they're not working hard. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, the nonprofit has so many factors and components and um, grants and fundraising and policies. And, you know, now with these national policies in place and federal policies in place that change the speed of things, that's been really difficult for me. And I am very much a go, 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 go person. And I really wanted to go and get this going and stuff. But the speed of a nonprofit is very different than what I was used to in academia, having these three-month deadlines, six-month deadlines. So that's been pretty difficult. And I think also, you know, doing diversity and inclusion work, something I'm obviously extremely passionate about. But it is easy to get kind of down when there's limited research on your topic. So when I'm doing my literature review and there's not a whole lot of stuff out there on diversity and inclusion, because it just hasn't been a priority in the literature to date. That was a little bit kind of upsetting. And it's easy to, you know, get down on yourself because there's not much out there. But then on the flip side of that, yeah, that's difficult, but that's encouraging that we are now kind of shifting this pen pendulum on research to promote diversity inclusion in our research. So it has been difficult to, you know, see that it's not been a priority before but also exciting to see that change in our profession and change across the country that is, you know, pushing for these research topics. That, that is a great perspective to have uh, on all of it. And how do you think this research and all the work you've done is going to influence your future practice and future career decisions? Yeah, like I mentioned, I, I am looking to continue. I'm getting a little stir crazy inside the apartment right now of not being able to go out and do things. And I know that wherever I settle down, um, I'm going to want to continue to serve on board of directors. I have found a passion for that and a passion for being in leadership roles. And um, I really, you know, I came into OT school thinking I wanted to be in academia one day and wanted to get my doctor to have that flexibility and that option. But now I think I'm pretty certain that I want to, you know, be involved in academia in some sense during my career. And so just want to keep learning about ways to get involved with academia and leadership roles in that sense as well. It's amazing that you've had these kind of student experiential learning experiences and the prospect of potentially being able to apply them in a career of academia and help students yeah. experience these same, the same things you have has to be exciting. Absolutely. What do you hope that occupational therapy practitioners take away from your findings? You know, looking at the board fellowship program, we kind of touched on it earlier, but this program can be implemented at other schools. And it's been such an impactful opportunity for me, and I just hope that others get the same opportunity as well. Um, and that, you know, it isn't too difficult to set up one of these programs in your communities as well. I also think the biggest thing, I kind of talked about it earlier, we talked about it throughout this podcast, is advocacy. And I hope that OTPs and uh, practitioners and future practitioners and current students understand how important advocacy is. We as professionals, you know, have a duty to advocate for our clients and, you know, to promote the best discharge and, you know, give them the, you know, opportunities to engage in these meaningful occupations. 
and that's advocacy absolutely 100%, but also advocating for yourself. Advocate for the needs of yourself. And, you know, if you see those inequities in your workplace, if you see things, advocate for change. Find, write to your legislator, um, you know, go to Hill Days, things like that. Diversity and inclusion is important and advocacy as well as when we combine those two things together is when I see lasting sustainable change um, in regards to DEI work. So that's kind of my big thing. Uh, if you if you know me, <laughs> you know that I am very passionate about advocacy. And so that's kind of my main hope to take away from this research and from this podcast episode, I guess. Um, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And those sound like great ways to bring about lasting and sustainable change, um, which is which is the end goal. If you know how to OT, you know I like to end every show with the golden nugget segment, <laughs> um, which is a special question I like to ask all my guests. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you if there's anyone you'd like to acknowledge at this time, maybe that had helped or, or guided you throughout this research process. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to acknowledge my mentor, Dr. Christine Berg. I truly do not think I would be here in my research without her advocating for us as students to be a part of this program. So I'm very thankful for her and for her guidance and mentorship. Um, also wanted to shout out Rick Skinner at the United Way of Greater St. Louis and for you know giving us a seat at the table. And then at the St. Louis Arc, the CEO Mark Keeley and Stephanie Scott, they have been instrumental in um, these projects and instrumental in my growth. So just wanted to give them shout outs as well. And now the golden nugget question. What is one thing you learned from this research that you wish everyone knew? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I'm also an AI assistant instructor right now. And so I teach first and second years. And something that I hear, something that's pervasive across discussions with them is that they want to be just an OT right? We talk about leadership in our classes and their response is, I don't want to be in leadership. I want to be just an OT. And my response to that is that being an OT, you are more than just a clinician. You are an advocate. You are a partner. You're a teacher. You are a coach. You are a mentor. You're a supervisor. You're all these wonderful things. Um, and that you have a responsibility and a duty to serve others and to continue advocating for their needs and your own diversity and inclusion work is tough. There are a lot of institutional barriers and, you know, the way things have been done to date that get in your way, but we are more than just OTs. We are individuals with such unique perspective and lens that can go out to change the world. And stepping out of your comfort zone is the first step, right? Serving on a board is intimidating. I don't think I spoke for my first two to three board meetings. But, you know, when you take those first steps, you know, you are more than just an OT. You are a change maker. That's my golden nugget. That is a great golden nugget. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. Uh, this has been a really great and fun interview. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you.
I'm on vacation every single day cuz I love my occupation hey 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 I'm on vacation every single day every every single day hey I'm on vacation every single day cuz I love my occupation So thankful for everything Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me I work, it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me Close my eyes sometimes and feel as if I blow away I love the life, I live and enjoy the ride along the way I'll make a living out of living, yeah that's what I say I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way Every single day, cause I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. Every single day, every, every single day. Hey, I'm on vacation. Every single day, cause I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it.